Just a heads up, this is the second half of a two-part episode. If you've not already checked out part one, push pause on this one and go and listen to the first half. We'll wait for you. Great. Good, wasn't it? Welcome back. Here's part two. It's a useful comment, I think, in the sense of what I do, because I deal with a lot of times crowds of people who maybe hold that digital immigrant narrative to be truth. And so I have to sort of break that barrier because in in some ways it keeps people from learning new things. And I think learning new things is really what this is all about. As I explained in part one, Eric Stoller is one of the most influential figures in higher education when it comes to social media and digital stuff. You're about to hear the second half of the chat I recorded with him before he moved back to the US after spending the last five years working here in the UK. There's plenty more good stuff coming up in this one, so get comfy and listen up. From the Access platform, he's Eric, I'm Dave, and this is Inspiration on Tap. What kind of music is Palm Reader? I don't even... Uh, I think officially it's post-hardcore. Really? They're like, so... You said that with a straight face. Post-hardcore. When I first saw your shirt, which I don't know if recording, but when I first saw your shirt, it, you know, it says PLM, RDR. I was like, is that some sort of like HTTP, HTML markup thing I don't even know about? Yeah, yeah. Palm Reader. What, what a name. It sounds so genteel. Like, uh... I'll, I'll have to send you a playlist of some of their stuff. Their most recent album is fantastic. My album of the year last year. Oh, well, I mean, if it's yours, then, you know, critically speaking, that's like a, that's like a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. Exactly. Exactly. That. Unironically, though. <laughs> right. Shall we? Shall we jump into part two of sure. our of our professional podcast about the higher ed sector? So, you talk a lot about digital engagement. What What do you mean by that? Beyond just somebody following a university on Twitter, what exactly do you mean by digital engagement? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's important that we define our terms because you know, after all, a higher education podcast. It's It's important to get in there. I, I think. You know, digital engagement is one of those things where it's all about the conversation. Uh, you know, for me, when social media first came out, it was very much kind of an extension of bulletin boards, you know, posters and things and, and that were just sort of one way. You'd go and you'd see them. There'd be no interaction. Uh, there'd be no uh, conversation in terms of maybe questions asked or follow up or um, I mean, it's great to have likes. I think part of, you know, sort of the, the sort of basic uh, level um, metrics, things like uh, you favorite or you like something or you retweet it uh, or you share it again. Those are all very uh, important elements of digital engagement because that inv- amplifies oftentimes a message or a story or some piece of content that you're trying to get out to people. And I always say that, that digital lets you amplify first and foremost a lot of different things, which is very useful. Uh, in, a, in an age when there's just a lot of content out there and you need to get it out to the right people. I think that's part of it too, is that it lets you get your content, your stories, your information, um, the resources, as well as just individual people to connect with people who are interested in either an institution, a university, a college, what have you, uh, which is another part of engagement too, because you know if you go into a, a busy, crowded street, you're just kind of surrounded with a bunch of strangers. But if you go to a party, you've got a lot of people who maybe have a shared affinity for something or they're wanting to converse. And I think that's what social media also lets you do is it lets you 
one, connect to sort of the larger crowd, but two, connect with people who really want to access your content. And I think that engagement piece, which allows students to connect with staff, it allows you know, academics to connect with other academics around the world. You know, it, it sort of erases geographical constraints in many ways, and it also reduces uh, hierarchy and access. I mean, people, you know, tweeting uh, at presidents, for example, uh, and getting an answer. Or it allows presidents or vice chancellors or what have you to connect with people that in the past maybe would have been a little intimidated to, you know, talk to them out on the street or, would, you know, didn't want to have to set up a meeting or that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So what's the key for organizations to improve or enhance their digital engagement? I mean, I think the key is always to start with asking questions. You know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? What channels are you using? Who are you trying to reach? Because again, if you're just sort of shouting out into the ether, uh, it's, it's not really going to have necessarily a lot of impact. It has to be measurable in some way or another. And I think that that's where, you know, fortunately, analytics with uh, social media have improved greatly over the years and you know even things like instagram now with you know business accounts and and the analytics that come with that or you know whatsapp with kind of their small business functionality which is very useful in many ways for institutions it's useful to measure those things because again i always told people when you first join twitter it's going to feel like you're you just sort of jumped inside of an empty gymnasium and you don't know what you're doing or you know why you're shouting. Mm-hmm. And so again, you do have to be intentional. You do have to sort of select channels that you know will help you achieve the goals that you have. The beauty of it all too is that people are essentially sharing templates and roadmaps for how to do it and how to do it well on a daily basis by way of other institutional accounts, uh, either you know departmental accounts within institutions and universities or you know, your peers or comparator institutions around the world are literally sharing best practices on a, on a minute by minute basis. And I guess part of this as well is, is enhancing and improving the digital capabilities of staff at institutions as well. I mean, have you got any thoughts on good ways of, of approaching that as a, as a potential challenge for, for some institutions? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in the past, JISC, which is a sort of technology plus HE or plus education in general organization over here in the UK, they've written extensively about either digital literacy as it has to do with students or digital capability as it has to do with staff mm-hmm. uh, and admin. And I think just as important as it is for students to develop their digital literacy whilst at university, it's important for staff to have ongoing development when it comes to their own fluency with digital because, again, it helps in their, their teaching practice. It helps in uh, their ability to connect with people in terms of amplifying their research uh, and their own scholarly work. And it's important, too, from a leadership capacity, because if you have leaders who don't understand the value of social, again, like we said earlier, it could hinder your organization's success on social media. Now, we mentioned in part one uh, the idea of student takeovers and user-generated, student-generated content. That as a thing is is pretty hot right now has been for a while and you know shameless plug alert i work for a company that puts it at the heart of what it does just how important do you think the student voice is and should be in a university's social output i mean it's it's one of those things where i think it's always been important to have a student voice and, and student input when it comes to university communications and 
engagement efforts. I mean, if you look in the past, you know, what who would be staffing a, a, a booth uh, at, a, at a recruitment fair? You know, a lot of times it would be current students. Why? Because current students can tell the story of what it's like to be a student at the institution from a very personable perspective, from a real perspective. And same thing goes and applies to uh, digital when it comes to UGC or, you know, user generated content. Uh, because, you know, when you get the crowd to share their voice on your platforms, your platforms become much more authentic, much more real, much more transparent and dynamic in the sense that you're not sharing the same thing over and over again. I mean, you look at certain institutions in the States, like um, for several years, George Mason University on their main Twitter account, they just had a different student sharing, you know, kind of a day in the life of a George Mason University student. And they just kept doing that. And that was on their main account. Uh, similar to, um, I think they've stopped it now, but the you know Sweden, the country, mm. uh, on their Twitter account had a different Swede on there, you know, each week, and it was really fascinating because these stories were very different and compelling. And and nowadays, you know, even the NHS mm. has their you know Twitter.com/slash/NHS account, and they're sharing. I think weekly, they have someone kind of take it over from a you know different capacity within a hospital or some sort of medical environment and you get these fascinating stories because people that you maybe would never follow or you wouldn't know about are sharing a a day in the life or a week in the life and that makes the whole place much more compelling are you a fan of uh sort of departmental accounts having a presence on social because from my point of view i've always felt like having extra voices to tell your story is a good thing provided provided they have a rough idea of what they're doing with the technologies. But I'm never sure if that's just me being overly idealist or whether it, whether it is a, a positive thing. What, what What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's different camps for sure uh, to that question in terms of answers. I think that, you know, my, my view is much more in line with yours in that, you know, social media represents distributed communications. Everyone has sort of their own uh, vehicle to provide access and engagement for their stories, for their content. But some people would say, you know, it's better to have, you know, just one Facebook account, one account sort of to rule them all, I guess, Lord of the Rings style. But I I guess the reality is, you know, every institution hands out email accounts to everyone. Uh, Most people have maybe an office phone number or other ways to contact them. And social media works the same way. Now, that means that in many ways, institutions, you know, the good communicators are elevated and championed. And maybe the the bad communicators are kind of exposed and a bit more vulnerable in a way. And and I think sometimes when people see that bad communication or poor engagement coming out or channels that aren't maybe fully fleshed out, then they'll think, well, we shouldn't be using social media or we shouldn't let those people have the channels as opposed to, what can we do to support those individuals? What can we do to support those departments? How can we enhance their learning so that they know how to use it better or provide them with you know, a, a mobile phone or a phone number so that they can use WhatsApp for student support or success yeah. um, you know, rather than let's pull it away? Because it's not like they're taking people's email accounts away or other ways. And so it's like, why wouldn't you try to sort of beef up or push out and, and enhance the the digital capability of the whole organization because again the more voices that are out there the more sharing that's done the more engagement that takes place it amplifies your entire organization and in an environment where recruitment brand access and reach are everything um, it makes sense to just train up everybody and always have it be part of the process of organizational development now anyone who's seen you speak and probably who's who's followed you on social will have picked up at some point that 
the much used term digital native does not sit comfortably with you. Why so? Yeah, it's it's one of my things that I, I guess I have a feud with uh, the the phrase digital native or digital immigrant, because what happened is uh, several years ago, a, a prominent academic or or leader in in sort of digital spaces in higher education came out and and wrote a piece, this dichotomy framing people as either digital natives or digital immigrants. The sort of younger you were, having grown up and been exposed to various technologies, the more adept and fluent you were going to be, almost by default, by way of your your age. Uh, and then the older you were and the less likely you were to have maybe grown up around certain technologies, the, the less connected you were going to be disconnected and maybe less able in some ways to use these technologies. And I think that when that article came out, people really held on to it, especially in higher education, especially maybe those who felt like they were in that Uh, digital immigrant cohort as this is why I don't have to use social media or this is why I I can just project my lack of fluency by way of the the banner of of digital immigrant academic justification for it exactly and the thing is the author of this original paper on, on on natives and immigrants came back and said you know what my bad I got it wrong but nobody read that no one read that paper or if they did they ignored it because it sort of went against what they sort of thought was a truth Mm -hmm. and the end of it being that you know everyone has a, a, a spectrum of fluency when it comes to all things digital. Uh, and yes, you might have been exposed to certain things if you're younger when it comes to technology, but that doesn't mean you know it, how to use it from a sophisticated learning and teaching and career development and, and just uh, a maturity with it that comes with just, again, experience and, and more time with it from a, from a different point of view. And I think that, you know, that that second piece that came out saying that it was about a spectrum of a flu- of fluency with digital, it's, it's a useful comment, I think, in the sense of what I do, because I deal with a lot of times crowds of people who maybe hold that digital immigrant narrative to be truth. And so I have to sort of break that barrier because in, in some ways it keeps people from learning new things. And I think learning new things is really what this is all about. Okay. No, good. I just wanted to wanted to just check before you went. You know. Oh, thanks. That's okay. So let's let's sort of start wrapping this up with a bit more um, reflection on your time here. I'm really curious as to what your favorite examples of of campaigns, incidents, accidental tweets that turned out to be just stupendously brilliant, like from UK HEIs. Th- that have just been doing cool stuff on social since you've been here. Like, what what are some of the standouts? Yeah, well, for our U.S. listeners, HEI, Higher Education Institutions, which actually most people will probably understand. There's a, but there's just this back and forth with with regards to language. I um wrote a blog post about it fairly it recently very good. Uh, yeah. about just things that are different because there's a lot of things that you know a, a course. Uh, in the UK is actually like a, a degree or a major uh, in the US and a US course is a module in the UK. Uh, but I think some of my favorite ones, I mean, obviously the University of Reading, we talked about that in part one uh, and there, that museum, the Merle, the Rural Life Museum, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they did some pretty humorous stuff uh, on social. I've always found that, um, I, like I mentioned earlier, the University of Sheffield with their We Are uh, international campaign was, that was tremendously important uh, because it was the first time I ever saw an institution over in the UK really take a stance, an activist-oriented stance against something that I think the entire sector was on board with. Also, I thought the Team U of G campaign from University of Glasgow 
uh, just in terms of student-generated content, trying to create this communal sense, like we're all in it together as a building community exercise. I thought was really valuable. Cambridge University's Instagram, I just think, is is gorgeous. I mean, they, they just do a tremendous job, and they have a ton of followers, and they get so many likes and comments on each time, you know, each post. Uh, but I think their stuff is beautiful, and it's always sort of thematically, you know, it's is is because I think they have a professional photographer on staff. It just looks like you could put all their photos in the same magazine and it would just, it would just flow together so well. But I also think the open university, and I don't think we talk about them enough, really, they do a great job of connecting with their student populations on social, on Instagram in particular, and really connecting to the fact that their learners aren't coming to a physical campus. Uh, but I think they, they always have done, in my estimation, a really, really good job. And then, of course, there's just sort of the one-offs here and there of various institutions, and that's just a huge list. Yeah. Uh, and then, it, you know, sort of the controversial things, you know, it was, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it wrong here, but it was, so Leeds Beck at University, uh, you know, the, during clearing sort of the student recruitment uh, mm-hmm. time of things, they had posted about using an Amazon Alexa, basically to uh, sign up for a course with them. Uh, But it was this whole like long period of, of, you know, if you want to sign up with with us for a course, uh, then you you have to go in and and, and, like read this manual. And it was supposed to be this sort of really cool hip way of doing technology. And, and it it just turned out it wasn't. And, and it it was the kind of thing where, you know, good on them to try to be, uh, you know, first in, in some ways, but at the same time, it didn't really work out. And so then if I can just queue up the example here on my computer, because I, the University of Essex quote tweeted Leeds Beckett, the original tweet, and they, they said, applying to Leeds Beckett, buy an Amazon Echo, wait for delivery, set up Echo, download Leeds Beckett app, ask Alexa to find a course at Leeds Beckett. Alexa thinks you said, buy me a leaky bucket, nearly buy a leaky bucket, cry in frustration, or just call us and apply in five minutes. And then they listed the phone number, which I thought was a brilliant way to illustrate the fact that one, here's an institution, Leeds Beckett trying to do something new with digital. Two, maybe it was a bit too complicated. You know, if you're going to lead and kind of be first and stick your neck out sometimes, maybe you're not going to get it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, also, though, I think it was a lesson for Essex in the sense that the sector shouldn't necessarily pick on each other, you know, you know, teasing one another in that kind of like snarky way. And it kind of backfired on them and they had to apologize. Uh, and so it's kind of like my, my favorite example of maybe what not to do in the sense of, of how something like snark or sarcasm can go wrong. Because it went widespread, it kind of went viral, mm. uh, in a sense. I mean, I, I I've gone on record as saying I was quite I quite liked the Essex <laughs> tweet. I think I I think where I where I lost it a little bit there was that was when they almost, almost when they broke character because they'd been building up to that tweet throughout the day. They'd been spotting a few other things, but yeah, I can see why lots of people didn't like it so much. But I enjoyed it a lot. So if I had to, if I if I asked you to whittle down everything you've learned in during your time here in the uk in the last five years if i ask you to scuttle them down to three takeaways we'll be back right after this thank you so much for checking out this new podcast it really means an awful lot that you're giving your attention to this show and i hope it's been worth it so far if you are enjoying the show and you'd like to help us spread the word a bit more, we've come up with a few things you can do. One, subscribe to this show so you never miss a future episode. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Two, leave us a rating or review. 
Despite there not being definitive proof that they actually mean anything, every other podcaster out there always asks for them, so we probably should too. Three, tell a friend about this podcast. That would be nice. And four, get our logo tattooed on your face and turn yourself into a permanent walking advert for Inspiration on Tap. Any or all of those would be just fine. Thanks. Okay, on with the show. If I had to, if I if I asked you to whittle down everything you've learned during your time here in the UK in the last five years, if I asked you to scuttle them down to three takeaways, what sure. would they be? Yes, because you know me being so wordy. Uh, I'm, I'm like the worst when it comes to brevity or being concise, especially when you have to like pin me down to, to three bullet points. This is why podcasting is such a great medium. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone's enjoying the the listen so far, (laughs) uh, in terms of, you know, what I, what I've learned is that, um, I think I've learned one, the importance of power that institutions have when it comes to digital engagement. I think, you know, in the U S in a way, because sport and athletics, such a big big deal. Institutions almost have it a little bit easier uh, because students have an affinity and the sense of connection and community in a lot of time, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times by, because of big time athletics. And because the UK doesn't have that, institutions over in the UK have to work harder uh, at building community. And I think because they have to work harder, there's almost a, a genuineness or an authenticity that it's always present in a way that I think in the U S it's all it's present, but it's also, it's just easier. And and I don't know how to say that in a way that maybe isn't a super offensive to my, my, the U S crowd. My, I almost said my brethren in (laughs) in the U S because they're dealing with enough already. And I will soon when I'm in the U S politically speaking, Mm -hmm. but I, I think that's part of it. I think the UK social media scene is such that there's a very powerful community. It's just like a tremendous amount of people who are very thoughtful and willing to share with one another. I mean, I think that's maybe takeaway number two is like the events like case SMC, the, you know, social media conference that people really come together and share best practices and help one another out. It's a very giving thoughtful community. Um, and I, I definitely have to make mention of that because I think that without that community, uh, just sort of accepting me as an outsider, like you mentioned earlier, that that's the label uh, in many ways. It, that that's just been just really wonder a really wonderful part of the experience of, of living and working over in the UK. And I, I think three, just the the humor of it all. I think the humor in the UK is you know British humor in general is a bit different. If you look at say like the the UK or British version of The Office versus the US version of The Office, uh, and I think I, I really have grown in leaps and bounds to appreciate uh, the subtlety and yet sort of the the sort of wry creativity of that all. Um, and so I think that would definitely be number three. Okay. And what what will you miss about the UK? And not necessarily professionally speaking, just just the UK in general. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be a bit of culture shock coming back to the U.S. Um, and from just you know work perspective and a, per, a personal perspective, I, I think I'll just miss you know the collegiality of peop- the sort of the people that I've met you know over the the past five years who I interact with on a regular basis. Who you know because of time zones and and differences, we probably won't connect as often. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll be uh, you know we're, we're leaving behind a lot of friends who fortunately we'll still be connected with on social media. Uh, so that's definitely part of it. I think the other thing is that, and this is, again, I apologize to the people in the U.S. who are listening to this uh, in the future, but you know, people swear a lot in the U.K. and they mm-hmm. swear a lot in professional environments. And 
it, it just feels more honest. People, you know, people in the U.S. swear all the time too. I know some people don't, mom, but it, I think in, in the U.K. HE sector, especially, you know, the conversations during conferences and keynote presentations and such that I've had, you know, I've had people drop f bombs and questions during massive conference presentations, and and you just don't get that in the U.S. Uh, even if they're thinking it. Yeah. And and I think I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that that sort of the use the differences in use of language. So yeah, that'll 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 be a difference a thing that I'll miss. Sorry, sort of long winded answer. No, it's good. I, f- I, f- I feel like I want to make a joke with a swear word in, but that'd be very cliched and quite obvious. It's almost like people would be expecting it, so I'm not going to. Just just say that's very interesting and and mean it in a British way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So what's what's next for you? I mean, is this are we likely to see you in the uk anytime soon is this is this goodbye or is this merely au revoir exactly i mean i think you know my my wife is uh is british and my son is british and i'm i'm the only non-brit in the house <laughs> you know but i i think that it, it doesn't mean goodbye for sure i mean i'll i'm sure i'll be back in the uk for some sort of consulting you know work trip in in the near future and the other thing is we can always move back unless there's some sort of you know Brexit that involves the U.S. coming down the road. Got to the last but one question before mentioning the B word. That's yeah, good. exactly, exactly. Well, it's like awesome. You know, you you have broken me of using the word awesome as often as I used to because uh, people in the U.K. They, they they've shunned that word a bit. But I think that you know we'll definitely come back. And and, and again, that that five hour time zone difference is really nothing when you think about it. Mm. Great stuff. Well, Eric, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to to join me on the podcast and to be so generous with your your knowledge and your wisdom. And, and it's it's been a pleasure getting to know you over the last five years. And I, I know we'll be in different time zones, but, you know, we'll, we'll as you say, we'll still be able to stay connected. Is, is there anything else you wanted to add before we before we wrap this thing up? I'd just like to say, you know, thanks to you, Dave, for letting me be a guest on your on your podcast and, and for uh the leadership that you provided in, in in the HE spaces over here, I think over the years since I've known you, you know, you've been in, in different you know positions in different organizations. But I think the the theme running along that whole time has been the fact that you've been a real leader and a real voice for using social media for digital engagement, thinking critically about how to use it, thinking strategically about how to use it. And I think that you know you're a real asset to the the sector over in the UK. Well, thank you very much. That makes me feel very good, Eric. Safe travels back to uh, back to America, and look forward to seeing you soon. All right, thanks a lot, Dave. You've been listening to Inspiration on Tap, a podcast brought to you by the Access Platform. Our tool gives you an authentic connection to prospective students in the form of chat, content, and FAQs. We'll help you attract, convert, and recruit more students. Find out more, book a demo, and sign up to our awesome newsletter at theaccessplatform.com or say hi on Twitter where we're at TA Platform. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guest was higher ed consultant, writer, and blogger, Eric Stoller. He's on Twitter as at Eric Stoller and is well worth a follow from you. Go and send him the best cat gif you can find and tell him we sent you. Our theme tune and ad music were created for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of his music, including the album's Craniotomy and Two Monologues, on Spotify, Apple Music, or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. Last of all, don't forget to subscribe to this show, Inspiration on Tap, so you never miss a future episode. And feel free to leave us a rating or review, as it really helps. Or just tell a friend about our show. 
or tell every Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa device you ever encounter in your life to play our show and then leave the room. We're pretty easy. Catch you next time.